Our reading this morning is from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. And thank you, Josh, as well, for leading worship so beautifully. I just felt um, led into the presence of God as you were leading. Thank you so much for that. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt, and I'm on the clergy team at St. Michael's. It's great to be with you, and a really warm welcome as well, um, if you're joining us online. Um, Yeah, can I invite you to uh, pray? Yes, Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we ask that you would speak unmistakably to us now. I ask for the help of your Holy Spirit and that we would know the living God has come to help his people today. Amen. Well, when I was a child, I spent most of my summer holidays in Texas, in America, with my aunt and uncle. And uh, it was some of the happiest moments of my childhood because um, after losing my mum to cancer as a child, my aunt and uncle took it upon themselves 
to absolutely and unashamedly spoil me and my sisters um, whenever we went out to Texas. They didn't have their own children, and so they would take the opportunity while we were there to show us a really great time, and we had an awesome time. So we'd go to like baseball games, the NASA Space Center, rodeos, theme parks. Uh, there was a never-ending supply of sweets and chocolate, and to make it even better, they had an incredible swimming pool with uh, an, an amazing slide in their garden. And we went so frequently to the theme park that they actually bought us a season ticket for the few weeks that we were there, because I think it worked out as cheaper. But it was unquestionably um, a time of abundance and generosity and fun. And uh, one particularly fun memory, which is still um, so fresh to me, um, is when my auntie would drive us to Toys R Us. And she'd get to the car park and kind of turn around and look at us. And she would break every single parenting rule in the book. I don't recommend doing this. But she would then give us $100 each and say um, those fabled words every child longs to hear. You can get whatever you want. Now, the first time she did it, me and my sisters couldn't quite believe it. We were sort of like, really? Is this actually happening? Is this a test? Um, but. Um, yeah, it was incredible. And just FYI, this was not like a normal daily experience for me, in case you're wondering if I was like some spoiled brat. Um, I wasn't, I think, but you'll have to uh, meet my dad sometime to find out if I was a spoiled brat or not. But after running around the store um, in a kind of frenzy of giddy excitement, we took our sort of pile of presents to the checkout. And um, in the midst of everything, we knew that we'd been spoiled and blessed beyond our wildest dreams. Why am I sharing this with you? Well, because we can all probably think of people who um, have been exceptionally kind and generous to us. But in our reading this morning, we're going to see that God is stunningly kind and outrageously generous towards his people. And in particular, that God promises to give us the wisdom that we need to navigate life. So just listen to some of these other promises from the New Testament so James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives what? Who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Or Luke chapter 11 verse 13, if you then though you are evil, this is Jesus speaking, if you then though you're evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The living God is a God of astonishing grace and kindness. And uh, I say that because understanding God's character, God's disposition, is absolutely fundamental to praying to him in the right spirit, in the right frame of mind. Now, do you remember back in Genesis how the serpent in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, how he tried to twist God's generosity. The serpent says in, in chapter 3, verse 1, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the, in the garden? So do you see what he's doing there? The serpent's twisting what God says to try and make God look stingy and unkind. But actually, if you flip back and look at chapter 2, verse 16, what God actually said was, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Go for it. The whole garden is yours to do with as you like. 
It's overflowing grace and generosity. And then after that, it then says, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. It's a big difference, that, isn't it? And I wonder, what are the areas in your life that you feel tempted to believe that God is stingy or that God doesn't have your best interests at heart or that God is not going to come through for you, not going to provide for you? It might be that you feel, you know, if I trust God with my money, then I'm not going to have what I need. Uh, It might be that you feel, if I obey God with my sex life, then I'll be miserable and lonely. Uh, It might be that you feel, if I obey God with my career, if I'm honest and don't bend the rules, then I'll miss out on opportunities. Well, the devil's tactics haven't changed. He will always be trying to make us believe that if we obey God, life will not go well for us. Now, the good news is that this is a complete lie. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. So God doesn't ask us to trust him, to rely on him, to pray to him, without first giving us powerful and compelling reasons and reassurance that he's more eager to bless us than we even are to muster up the faith to ask him. He reveals himself as a God of stunning grace first. And in that same spirit of abundance and grace, God comes and appears to Solomon in a dream. And it says in verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and God said, just remarkable question, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, to give you a bit of context as to what's going on here, uh, Solomon was one of the sons of Israel's greatest king, King David. Uh, Just prior to this in chapter one, one of his other brothers has tried seizing the throne from David uh, because David's frail and old and tries to capitalize that. Uh, David gets wind of this and uh, takes Solomon and anoints him as the true king. And David charges Solomon to follow the Lord in obedience to him and that if he does this, his reign will be blessed and Israel will always have a king. And then it cuts straight to our reading today in chapter three. Now we aren't told how old Solomon was at this point, but around 20 years old is a reasonable uh, guess uh, based on the information we have. And God comes to Solomon and asks him that remarkable tantalizing question. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon asks God for wisdom, for a discerning heart, and it says in verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this. It pleased the Lord. So this passage is here to teach us about prayer. And that's why the title for today's message is The Prayer That Unleashes Blessing. The Prayer That Unleashes Blessing. And I want to speak to you about two things in this, uh, in this uh, prayer. I want to speak to you about the basis of this kind of prayer and the heart of this kind of prayer. The basis of it and the heart of it. So firstly, the basis of it. Solomon answered... You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. So do you notice there, God 
basically offers him the world on a plate and Solomon's, the first words out of Solomon's mouth are not a request for anything. They're a statement about God's kindness, a celebration of God's faithfulness. And that is awesome. I don't, there are many people who would have responded that way. He says, you have shown great kindness to your servant. It's teaching that the basis of prayer that unleashes God's blessing is rooted in the kindness of God. Solomon acknowledges and celebrates God's kindness first. He doesn't just treat God in a transactional way or like a divine slot machine. Okay, great, just give me what I want. No, he starts with the kindness of God to him and his family. And perhaps that's because he knew his family history. Solomon was the child of an adulterous and murderous relationship in many ways between David and Bathsheba. David went and got Bathsheba's other husband killed so he could have her. So he quite rightly, um, as we all should really, starts by acknowledging God's kindness to him and his family. There's no entitlement whatsoever in Solomon, despite his power. He starts with God's kindness. Now, there's something incredibly challenging about that, isn't there? Because I find the older I get, the more entitlement gets a grip on my heart and I have to watch for it. Uh, and it just seems to be, entitlement just seems to be, doesn't it, the air we breathe in London. Uh, even something small like coffee. You know, when I was 18, so long as the coffee had caffeine in it, and even that was negotiable, I'd drink it. But fast forward to now when I'm 36, and you know, if it's not made with like, um, you know, the right beans and it's the right temperature and the right milk, I, get re I really dislike it and this kind of entitlement can just come over me. And that's just coffee. But we can feel entitled about all sorts of things, can't we? We can feel entitled to an easy and comfortable life. We can feel entitled to respect and praise. We can feel entitled to more money fulfilling relationships, career opportunities. We can feel entitled to not have to wait that extra minute on the tube platform for the train to come in or for the traffic lights to finally turn green. And Solomon could have quite easily said, as powerful as he was, and as the king, he could have said, oh, finally, God, well, if you could just, you know, remove my enemies, establish my power and kingdom, that would be great. But no, what does he say? He's offered the world on a platter and the first thing he says is you've shown great kindness. That is the basis of prayer that unleashes blessing from the Lord, acknowledging his kindness to you. Now, we might say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm in church, I acknowledge God's kindness. But the, the tricky thing is, I think, that there's no of course about God's kindness because God doesn't owe us anything. In fact, if God owed me anything, it would be judgment for my sin and rejection of his authority in my life. That's the truth. God owes us nothing. And yet in Jesus Christ, he's given us everything. He's paid the penalty that our sins deserve, which is death. He's lived the life we could never live, perfectly obeying the law of God on our behalf. 
He powerfully rose from the dead and poured out the Holy Spirit so that we could know his awesome, loving presence in our hearts, no matter what we face. So how is your heart this morning? Where are the pockets of entitlement for you? Take the opportunity this morning to lay down the dirty rags of entitlement. And instead of that, like Solomon did, throw yourself on the awesome kindness of God. Put on the identity he holds out to you. The identity that says chosen, precious, redeemed by Christ's blood, saved by God's grace. If you build your life on that kind of foundation, you will never regret it. Because the basis of prayer that unleashes blessing, it is the kindness of God. But there's more. Solomon also teaches us about the heart of prayer. So if you just listen to the way, to what he says in verse 7, he says, Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Now, when Solomon says, I'm a little child, um, he isn't referring to his age there. He's talking about his inexperience in leadership and governance. And he's teaching us that the heart of prayer that unleashes God's blessing is a heart of humility. I love that um, Woody Allen quote from Mark's sermon a few weeks ago, uh, that confidence is what you have before you understand the problem. It's so true, isn't it? And Solomon sees the size of the problem. He sees that he does not have the strength to lead God's people himself. And he goes on to say in verse 9, So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Do you see the humility there? See, when I think of the word wisdom, that's what Solomon's famous for, isn't it? It's his wisdom. It tends to conjure up images in my mind of a kind of beardy man like Gandalf or something, or maybe like um, a fortune cookie or something like that. But scripture teaches again and again that actually humility is the root and sign of true wisdom. Because age does not automatically bestow wisdom, does it? Experience does not automatically bestow wisdom. Education and money do not automatically bestow wisdom. Now it's God who bestows wisdom. And he bestows wisdom not on the worthy, but simply on those with the humility to ask. Solomon was only 20 years old. You can be young and green and inexperienced and feel inadequate and totally out of your depth. And yet your humility can be the secret thing that God uses to do great things for him. Maybe you're at a crossroads at the moment, a big decision to make maybe, and you could go one way or a very different way. Uh, it could be worrying about whether to move house, which university to go to, whether to change jobs, uh, maybe it's financial worries or how you're going to make ends meet. But it's possible to feel paralyzed, isn't it, by fear of making the wrong decision. Um, if, the, if the slide's working, could you put up the slide that I sent through earlier? Sorry, it was a bit lastminute.com, but it just made me laugh. Um, is it working? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so 
be trying to monitor the thing I left in God's hands. Hey, it's me again, just checking up on the status. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just silly, but I, I resonated with that probably too much. But I do it all the time. But I want to say this, God honors the sincere prayer for wisdom and guidance, and he will guide you. Don't allow yourself to slip into a functional atheism because God is in charge and he promises to give wisdom to make the right decisions when we have the humility to ask. You know, before I was ordained or even Anglican, I was studying theology and I'd been struggling with the fear of making the wrong decision about what to do next. Should I go into full-time ministry? Should I study more? Should I take up secular employment? And I will never forget sitting down with one of my tutors and telling him, uh, I don't know what to do. What do you think I should do? Please tell me what to do. And he just smiled. And the first thing he quoted to me was Psalm 37 verse 4, when it says, um, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And he went on to say to me, what do you want, man? What do you really want? Not because God will just give me whatever I want every single time I ask for it. But he said it more as a way of saying something similar to what Solomon says in this passage, I think, that if the Holy Spirit is giving you desires to serve him, to glorify him, to live for him, if you're depending on him and, op- and asking him for wisdom, then actually you can trust his leadings and his promptings. And it was so helpful for me in a crucial moment for me in, in, in sort of taking a step towards uh, ministry. But the heart of prayer that unleashes blessing is humility. The question really, is, as I begin to finish, is do we really believe that God will give us the wisdom we need? Because oftentimes I suspect that many of us already know what the Lord wants us to do, or have an intuition about it anyway, but it's about getting over the fear that we might make the wrong decision. But the good news is fear about the future is not from the Lord, and you can just dismiss that out of hand. And if you've asked the Lord for wisdom, you can absolutely trust, because scripture teaches it again and again and again that if he will give you the wisdom that you need in the moments that you need it, in your specific personal circumstances. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and what? And all these things will be given to you as well. That's a promise you can take to the bank. Shall we pray?